we're back again on Block Chat Radio with your host, Hassani Adi. So in this episode titled Blockchain, Nature and the Second Renaissance, we're speaking to George Bavel, who is an ex-Olympian and now referred to as a crypto wayfarer. He's spending his time traveling around India, learning about Ayurvedic medicine. We actually were very lucky to get this episode recorded because he was actually in some rural village in south southern India um, whilst doing his course. So he had quite a patchy 3G connection, but the gods of wireless communications allowed us to have this conversation, fortunately. So the audio quality does waver at some points, but we actually managed to get that cleaned up in post-production so that sounds nice and coherent. So yeah, I reckon do you stick through because it's a, a really interesting episode. You know, George definitely has been able to convey some of his understanding of life and philosophy into the whole blockchain trading thing. So I've, I've thought it was a fascinating episode, frankly, and I hope that you do too. So we'll now jump in and uh, yeah, episode two, blockchain. And here's a cool, interesting fact of the day for this podcast, coming out of the University of Copenhagen, Faculty of Humanities. At an archaeological site in northeast Jordan, researchers have discovered the charred remains of a flatbread baked by hunter-gatherers 14,400 years ago. It is the oldest direct evidence of bread found to date, predating the advent of agriculture by at least 4,000 years. The findings suggest that bread production based on wild cereals may have encouraged hunter-gatherers to cultivate cereals, and thus contributed to the agricultural revolution in the Neolithic period. Pretty cool, huh? Bread is old. So yes, we have, we have our second recording of Block Chat today. Um, it's July 2018. Um, it's been quite interesting, actually, trying to find some new guests, think, thinking about who I'd like to talk to. And um, a mutual friend um, of ours um, basically introduced me to George uh, here today. And we have uh, George Bovell in the studio. Uh, we're talking to him. He is a crypto wayfarer. Um, he's, a, he's a cryptocurrency trader. And he's cryptocurrency to empower himself to live and travel, see the world whilst learning and gaining personal experience that help him on his journey through life, um, all powered by cryptocurrency on the blockchain. So I thought it was a pretty interesting guy. He's been into crypto for uh, quite a few years now, you know, quite a few years. And interesting thing is that with this space, if you've been into crypto for a couple of years, you basically are, are an expert. So we are speaking to a cryptocurrency wayfarer, cryptocurrency trader, and yeah, I, I guess in a way a bit of an expert too, who's going to help us learn more about cryptocurrency training. We're going to learn about you know the exchanges and things to look out for and techniques. And also going to learn about George's journey through life and what he's doing and how you know Bitcoin trading is helping him, you know, live his best life. So I hope that's an all right introduction, George. What do you think? Yeah, I think that introduction was uh, was nice. It was good. Um, 
I think I'll let out some of my uh, other details as we go forward. Well, uh, I used to be in a very extreme form of mental and physical slavery. And um, having recently gotten free from it, um, I set out on a journey to, to really develop myself and follow up on some, some long-time interests that I didn't have time or chance to follow up on before. I was, uh, when I say uh, in an extreme form of mental and physical slavery, I'm not kidding. I, I, was in a, I was a professional athlete. I was a professional swimmer. Okay. That definitely is a form of slavery. Well, I think it's for a lot of people, that would be their dream. Um, <laughs> but for you, it seems as though it was, it, it was very, very, uh, a very serious, um, you know, career almost that was swimming, right? You were an Olympian? Yes, yes. And then towards the end, I realized that it was more of a spectacle than a competition and that the Olympics really is the ultimate reality TV show. And that when you're... You're, when you're a fanatic, you don't realize you're a fanatic because you end up being surrounded by other fanatics. And you have this very extreme way of life, but you think it's normal because it's, it's all you know and it's what all your friends are doing and your, the coaches and the other athletes that you hung out with. And it's very easy to get wrapped up and become really intense. And I think that if you really, if you try to make a living through competing, that side of you, will just overwhelm your whole life and it will consume you, essentially. You'll find yourself racing through traffic, racing in lines. It, it just becomes a, a way of life that is very unsustainable and draining. Mm, that's quite interesting. So just some background. Who was it that you were swimming for? What country? I, I don't want to take us too far off topic um, from crypto, but um, I was swimming for Trinidad and Tobago. Um, Ah, okay. Yeah, because I wanted to just understand that really, to add some context. Um, very, you know, nice parts of the world, beautiful, lovely. Um, so, and obviously now you're over in India. And yeah, yeah. I'm studying Ayurveda. And uh, Ayurveda is like traditional Indian medicine, like a very developed form of shamanism. It's, it's really cool stuff. And um, it's a lot to do with treating the underlying cause and not just the symptoms. And it's something I'm very interested in for a couple of years. And it's one of the interests that I'm pursuing thanks to crypto. That's quite interesting because, um, in, you know, apart from my engineering and my blockchain stuff, I'm also very interested in the, uh, you know, peak performance, peak health, um, well, well-being, et cetera. And um, I definitely have crossed the path of Ayurveda a couple of times um, and looking into alternative medicines for, you know, fatigue or for stress or for anxiety. And uh, it, it definitely is a, a really wonderful form of medicine that we could easily dive into a, an hour conversation about. Yeah. But, and it that, even applies to crypto. It's not just about medicine. It's about understanding the way nature works in such a profound way that you can work with it instead of working against it. And um, they describe, you know, certain aspects of nature like growth, maintenance and decay, these certain expressions of energy. And uh, if you look on a trading chart, you'll see growth and decay. And the more something grows, the faster it grows, the quicker it decays. So we're looking at uh, collective human psychology and seeing these principles from Ayurveda being manifested. It's everywhere. And, and the word Ayurveda means life knowledge. Wow, that's quite interesting. So, okay then, so let, let's try to piece this all together. Um, I'll, I'll tie this back into crypto. Um, well, because of the internet, we're seeing 
the democratization of, of information. And this is leading to a, a second renaissance, essentially. Mm. You know, like this is the new age of enlightenment, the same age of enlightenment that led to the empowerment of the individual, that led to the, the French Revolution and the American Revolution. We're seeing this happening again on a much bigger scale, thanks to the internet, thanks to being able to actually get educated now. And when I say education, I mean taking you from being an unconscious homo sapien farm animal. And what we're starting to see now is we're approaching a critical mass in this area. And it's starting to show up in terms of like sovereign money that nobody controls. The rules of the money control the money. And I think we're going to see as we get this trend continues, we'll have a more of a critical mass. And when that happens, we're going to see a huge shift in the way things work. Because fundamentally, and it's always been that way since there's been civilization. And if we follow that trend down the line, we get to the scientific dictatorships that we see in dystopian novels by George Orwell and Aldous Huxley. And that type of future is, for me, it's very scary. And I see this empowerment of the individual thanks to the internet and thanks to getting real education that takes you into being a conscious human, human being instead of a homo sapien. And, and consciousness, the more conscious the population, the more decentralized the governance. It's a feedback loop. And the more decentralized the governance, the more responsibility the individual has to take on. So it creates a more conscious individual and a more centralized governance system that fosters a very unconscious, herded and exploited mass of people. And those type of people allow themselves to easily be herded and exploited. And what we're seeing with Bitcoin now and cryptocurrency in general is it's a peaceful revolution against the banking system. And unlike the other revolutions, like the French Revolution and the American Revolution, this is a peaceful revolution. And when I'm here in India studying Ayurveda, I got connected to a real master practitioner because of the internet. And it's we're the first generation in history that has had this kind of access to information. Anything you want to learn about, it's, you can get connected to, and you can go and learn from the source. You can find the best possible teachers wherever they are in the world and go and learn from them. We're seeing like this is a direct, this is incredibly empowering for individuals. And as individuals get more empowered, they get more conscious. And as they get more conscious, they get more aware, more aware of how the system works, how they fit into the system, and more aware that their actions are not just their own actions, but their actions affect the entire system, which in turn affects their life. Whereas an unconscious homo sapien man, I, excuse me, I make that distinction. I, I would say like humanity is a spectrum, and on one end of the spectrum you have... The, the unconscious entertained masses. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have really curious people who are into developing themselves. Mm, that was, uh, that's quite, yeah, that's quite a, quite a, a piece there. Thank you for that. That's very interesting because I, I really liked how you were able to bridge the gaps between consciousness, decentralization, um, and the mm -hmm. way we're actually understanding the world. That's very, very interesting. So, you know, I guess in a nutshell, the question I can ask you is, what does cryptocurrency actually mean to you? I mean, I think you answered it in that question, but, you know, by, by talking about how 
decentralization is fostering a world where people are able to understand the bigger picture, to see and have access to people, consciousness information to then decide mm-hmm. their own fates. Is, is that about correct? Yes, I see cryptocurrency empowering for the individual. And it's a feedback loop, essentially. The more empowered the individual becomes, the more decentralized the government system. And the more decentralized the government system, the more empowered the individual becomes. And the opposite's also true. That's where in more centralized power, which in terms of that's what we have today with currency that's created out of debt. And more centralized power leads to disempowerment of the individual. And just like with the beehive, like what goes for the good of the collective goes against the greater good of the individual. Mm, that's mm. very interesting. Yes, and very I, interesting indeed. And I think that for us to really enjoy like a life that is... When I say free, I mean consciously free. Everybody's acting in the greatest good. And for us to have that, it, we need to have a more conscious population. We see great expression of arts and culture. When we see the overarching hierarchy of centralized power get too strong, we end up with a bunch of herded and exploited wage slaves. And I think that crypto is a revolution against that system that herds and exploits us. It allows you to become your own bank. It allows you to take the power back from a centralized authority. And then as as the ecosystem continues to develop, there are interesting, interesting things coming up now, like Cardano has this notion of liquid democracy, where you could delegate your vote. Have you heard about that? So in a representative democracy, if your representative comes up against an issue that he doesn't know anything about, that's a flaw in the system. He's supposed to vote for you, but he doesn't know what he's, anything about what he's voting for. Now, through the blockchain technology, they can allow you to, in an immutable, trustless way, to delegate your vote to someone who is an expert. And you can choose which expert you'd like to vote in your behalf for whatever issue that comes up. And this can be applied to like very small governance systems like your, your local club. Or it could be applied to anything on a macro level. It's really revolutionary what we're seeing starting to take place. Mm, That's quite interesting. So we're now going a bit further than just talking about cryptocurrency as a form of money to exchange for resources and services. We're now talking about how the blockchain has facilitated a whole suite of applications, and one of them being decentralized democracy which you know definitely needs a shake up and needs improving mm. and so it's, it's all really, ha- really exciting and it's all happening because of this new renaissance that's coming about because of the empowerment of the vid- individual through their access to information due to the internet that's very true because if you go back say 20 or 30 years um well even 15 years before the internet you know we'd actually rely on TV or local newspapers or a priest or a local um, figure in the public to give us all our information. But now we're seeing that we have much more control of the information that enters our brains and also the fate that we create for ourselves as a result of that, which is quite exciting. Um, it does it does seem like a real natural progression for our species and humanity to be decentralized and have access to infinite and exponential information which is quite interesting Mm -hmm. but for decentralized to really work it needs conscious people like unconscious masses like 
they'll act in their own selfish interest, even if it goes against the interests of the collective that their, their own survival depends on. But if we have conscious people, they'll understand that their actions affect the whole system. I was saying that for decentralization to really work, and we're starting to see it coming out into the world in terms of decentralized money, then it's going to, this is going to further empower the individual and we're going to see it evolve into more, more applications of decentralization. And for decentralization to work, it needs a, like a responsible population because it, it's run not with a centralized authority, but it's run based off of guidelines of behavior. And I think as our population of the world becomes more empowered because of access to information, Okay, okay. So talking about how with a decentralized society, um, you basically facilitate a set of guidelines that allow people to operate in a decentralized fashion without being forced to behave in a certain manner via a centralized government mm-hmm. or control system. So we're so talking about how when, when you have a society of quote-unquote conscious people, they can then behave in the best way of, for the good of the whole with respect to a set of guidelines. Yes, because, mm-hmm. because they understand how the individual actions affect the whole. Whereas when you have a population who is not even aware of that, then you need a centralized authority to essentially protect the people from themselves. Like you need a ruler to say, don't go and cut down all the trees on the island because we won't have any more rain. And the people will be like, all right, we'll obey the rules so they don't cut down the trees. But if you have a population where the, the people understand this, you don't need a centralized power to say, don't break the rule. Everybody just understands, all right, let's not wipe out all the flora on the island because the climate will change. Okay, people will inherently sense. understand that. And if we can apply that to the, to the, on a global level, I think what we're seeing now is the internet is creating the second renaissance access to information that gives them incredible understanding that allows for the the evolution of human consciousness. And we're seeing symptoms of it starting to emerge. And what's so cool about cryptocurrency is the people who got into it really early on were the ones who got into it for the revolutionary aspect. They didn't get in it to get rich. And those people who got in for the right reasons got incredibly financially empowered to then go out and express that desire for positive change in the world. This is the greatest transfer of wealth ever. So yeah, I wanted to ask you, uh, George, you know, I wanted to understand, do you, you know, what can you compare this to in terms of revolution? I mean, have we seen anything like this before, you know, in the world, in technology, um, in, in society? I think, yes, um, nature tends to repeat herself on, on many levels. And we can't deny that there is an anti-entropic force in the universe that runs towards increasing complexity and interconnectedness. Like, that's the way our technology is developing, towards increased complexity and interconnectedness that's allowing us to have this conversation right now while I'm in India having been connected to an Ayurvedic master doctor, learning from him as an apprentice, increasing complexity and interconnectedness. Now, this is a a trend that's been happening throughout nature, all the way back to the beginning, back to the Big Bang. You've had, you know, 
plasma, and then plasma became hydrogen, and hydrogen became helium, and it exploded into the heavier elements. And then it became life, and life began with a single cell organism, which we could we could compare just just let's compare that to Bitcoin. Mm. And life then took off and explored every possible avenue of evolution. It tried to do everything it could in this period in history called the Precambrian period. And it led to this incredible explosion of novelty. Now, what we're seeing is in the blockchain space, we had Bitcoin. And then Bitcoin became Ethereum. And then Ethereum has now exploded and there's smart contracts. It's all kinds of decentralized apps. And then we're seeing third generation smart contract platforms like Neo, EOS, Cardano. And we're going to see people try to take everything and put it on the blockchain. And there'll be a lot of redundancy because not everything needs to be decentralized. Now, if we look at early life, that single cell organism in the early oceans then took off and it became organisms. Mm. Yeah, and, and it tried to do organisms that swam, organisms that crawled, organisms that produced energy from the sun, organisms that ate other organisms for energy. It tried to do everything. And we're seeing like the beginning of the early tree of life. This is where we are right now in the blockchain space and this explosion of novelty. So it, we have to then look at the whole blockchain space and say, all right, if this is the beginning of the early of the next tree of life of the blockchain space. Which branch of the tree of life do I think is going to be the most successful? When I say branch, branches right now are infrastructure projects. These are like the primitive organisms that we're just figuring out, all right, well, I need a digestive system. I need a nervous system. I need sensory organs. I need a propulsion system. Mm. You need to look and say, all right, is it going to be the cephalopods? Is it going to be the fish? Is it going to be other types of invertebrates to crawl on the bottom of the ocean that lead into crustaceans and those types of things eventually? Or is it going to be the fish that become the reptiles, that become the dinosaurs, that become the birds, that become the mammals, that become us? Is it going to be that branch? Or is it going to be the branch that is trees and, and um, organisms that use photosynthesis? So now if we look at the crypto space today, we have to look at these platforms because the platform is the branch of the tree of life and all of the creatures that evolve out of that branch will be like all the applications that are built on those platforms so when you look at them are you going to look at neo and say yeah neo's got gills it's got um, propulsion system it's got this really cool evolved appendage that does this really cool thing or is it going to be ethereum that's going to continue to evolve or is it going to be cardano Personally, I think Cardano is, is, is leading the pact. It's on track to be a very successful branch of the, of the tree of life. It's one of my favorite infrastructure projects out there right now. That's so interesting. Um, I really hadn't, I really, I'm not sure if anybody or very few people rather um, probably would have compared the blockchain and decentralization technologies to uh living organism that's very very interesting that's actually fascinating george thanks yeah. for that insight um and, and like in the precambrian there was a massive extinction with all of the redundancy life didn't need to pursue every avenue there were certain tracks that were just more conducive to to furthering themselves and that was the precambrian extinction and we're going to see in the space eventually like 
people are going to try to build everything on the blockchain. And there will be, just like in the dot-com boom and bust, they were trying to do pets.com and people were raising incredible amounts of money just for an idea. Mm-hmm. And when exactly. I, think we're go- I think we're going to go through another one of those boom and busts again. And then after that, the track will be more clear for evolution for a while. And then me personally, in my investing, I'm not going so much for ICOs. I'm more focusing on, on the infrastructure projects. I think those are a lot safer bets and uh, they're very exciting. And then as the projects get built on those infrastructure platforms, the demand for the tokens of those platforms will go up and should lead to a, a very profitable, your investment being quite profitable. Okay, okay, that's, that's quite an interesting segue, actually. Thanks for, that, for that, um, that handoff there. We've talked about consciousness and society and evolution and the philosophy of blockchain. Um, another kind of like segueing into talking about actually investing itself. Yeah, um, this trend towards greater complexity and interconnectedness and how we can, we can profit off that by understanding it. Okay, this is very interesting because obviously we, you know, we're seeing everything being put onto the blockchain. And of course, the way the structure of life is, there are huge rewards and incentives for innovation. People you know, are racing as fast as they can Towards yeah, survival these. of the fittest, Darwinism out there in the space. It's true, and then these rewards are are, are really fostering um, innovation in this space because when you can raise X amount of million pounds in forty eight hours, I mean that's going to be incentive, right? So I want to understand a little bit more about the investment side of things because you just mentioned very briefly that you tend to focus on infrastructure projects um i just want to kind of understand what you know uh, okay. for our listeners what is what is an infrastructure? Yeah. talk about investing in infrastructure yeah yeah so i guess first for our listeners you know for uninitiated you know what is infrastructure in terms of blockchain space i think these are the platforms that are going to allow the development to take place these are the people who are going to create um, the systems that allow people to then say, oh, I want to build the next Airbnb. Oh, I want to do the next Facebook. I want to put the next Uber on the blockchain. It's going to be the blockchain that they put it on. And um, the, mm-hmm. it's going to be like a giant workshop that has every possible tool you could need to build a B2 stealth bomber. Whatever you want to build, you could build it. They're going to provide that for people. And it's sort of like life providing all of the options for the organism to use to evolve. Would you like gills? Would you like teeth? Would you like fins? Would you like legs? What would you like to do? Here it is. Just go build whatever you want. Try that out. See how you do. Mm, that's quite cool. So they're sort of like the branches of the tree of life. That's, that's pretty roots? interesting. Do you want roots? Do you want leaves? Do you want a trunk? Do you want a nervous system? Do you want to be a parasite? What do you want to be? And then good luck. We'll see how you work. Wow. You know, being flung out into the world. And then, you yeah. know, seeing how it all plays out. So that, okay, so that, I think that's a good, uh, you know, a quite a, like, a clear... Do you want smart contracts? Do you want atomic exchanges? Do you want a currency? Do you want it to also have a debit card? Do you want it to be a governance system? Do you want it to have escrow? Like, wh- whatever. I mean, we're seeing all of these, like, I wouldn't... It sounds so crude to say, like, organs, and uh, but they are essentially like the way organs started to evolve in early life. Mm, that's true. That's when the organs true. become organisms and uh, somebody who's building the next decentralized project will say, all right, which organs do I want to put in my organism? 
what do I want it to do? Do I want smart contracts? Do I want atomic swaps? How secure do I want it to be? So like the security would be like the immune system. Do you want to have a really well-developed immune system in your organism? And I think that where these platforms like Ethereum, Cardano, Neo, they provide all of these options for the developers to then say, yes, I want to have an organism that's a reptile, but what I want my reptile to have all this stuff in it, or I want my fish to have that. Mm, that's... And then how, how well your organism does is how quickly it reproduces and evolves on its own. How wow. well it is at gathering, gathering resources and surviving. That's what competition in the space is. It's sort of like nature is repeating itself. And this trend towards greater complexity and interconnectedness is continuing now in this new ecosystem that's just exploded on us. That's, that's fascinating, George. Thanks for that. Um, and I wanted to understand as well, how did you, how did you cut your teeth in this space? How did you learn about investment and learn about strategies and techniques and where to do it and how to do it? Because for most people, you know, the uninitiated, investment isn't necessarily, even in general with fiat currency, you know, a very straightforward thing to do. But when you add into that a layer of blockchain and cryptocurrencies and tokens and Ethereum and wallets, (laughs) (laughs) that's quite, you know, when I was starting off, I had a lot of doubts. I really did. Um, I'm not going to lie. It was it was the hero's journey. It did take a lot of courage. Um, so I, I had been uh, teaching myself about investing and trading since 2013 in the stock market. Mm-hmm. And then I had, a, I had a, an epiphany where I realized that like, some of the ways that I had been profiting, I like, fundamentally disagreed with. Like I had been investing in big oil. I had been investing in pipelines. I had even been investing in like when ISIS started to come on the scene, I knew it was going to be around for a while. And I invested in a lot of uh, military stocks, defense stocks. Oh, wow. And then, uh, then, you know, Russia annexed the Crimea. Everybody wanted to buy weapons. And the whole, the whole market for that just took off. And I saw that, that there was, you know, two spaces in, in the whole U.S. economy that despite the downturn continued to grow. And that was defense spending and healthcare. And I thought, wait a minute, that means the two parts of the economy that continue to grow no matter what are more people are getting sick and more money is being spent to kill people. And I, I, I wow. sat down one day and I realized, oh my God, like what have I been doing? I've been making money off of sick people and making money off of killing people and making money off of destroying the planet. And I it's changed my whole way of investing completely. And then around that time, um, I've been watching Bitcoin for a while. Like, what, what, what was it? I thought it was maybe the greatest Ponzi scheme ever. I didn't want to touch it. And um, I was studying, uh, I went to take a course in permaculture design. And I met uh, some brilliant guys there. They started to open my eyes to, I had an open mind to begin with. And there was a moment where my friend, um, he mailed himself money, essentially. He transferred it to the exchange and he just sent it to his phone. And I was like, what? You didn't have to go through the bank. And then the first couple of times I thought I understood it, I didn't because it was just orders of magnitude greater. And I started to realize like, oh my gosh, this is such a profound revolution. This is like the next evolution of, of humanity. It has to be like mm. right when I was so pessimistic about the future, I saw this as sort of a, 
a resurgence of light, like a revolution. It's something I, I wanted to be part of. I started to, to, you know, but I didn't know anybody besides them. And I had to figure out, like, how do I do this? All right, like, how do I need to get an account at an exchange? I need to link it to my bank account. And then, you know, initially you're just buying Bitcoin and you're trading in Bitcoin. And then it, it leads to sort of altcoins. And before you know it, you have a portfolio of altcoins. And you're like, you know, there, there are some times you do sort of wake up in the night. What do I, who is Satoshi Nakamoto? Where is this coming from? We don't even know. But it's been an incredibly exciting and um, very fulfilling. And it's given me a lot of faith for the future, the way I see the space growing, and then especially the way that I see that they just can't kill it. It's very, very bullish when something looks like it's going to be destroyed, but it's not destroyed and it grows. Every time that happens, I think it uh, just gives everyone in the space a lot more confidence. And I think if Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general was going to fail, the most likely day that it would have failed would have been on the first day. Every day it continues, it continues to, to gather momentum. And it really is a social revolution. And the more people that understand it, the more the revolution grows. And it's an idea. You can't really just kill an idea. Ideas are dangerous and contagious. This is very true. And also as well, the fact that the amount of money being pumped into this, it definitely isn't going away anytime soon. No, um, no, definitely not. I mean, something that definitely comes up quite often in conversations about this is it's just the extent of security, uh, regulation and policy in the space, because people have a lot of concerns about putting 10K, 20K, 100K into an altcoin. And then what happens is that post-ICO, you see the founders of the company driving Lamborghinis and their project closed down. Um, which obviously is a prevalent yeah, issue they, in this space, really. Not held yes, I think as we do start to see sort of people being held accountable, and I would say like um, some sort of order—I don't know how much you want to call it rules—but um, regular, it's good for the space, and it's going to having that in place will bring in more because right now it's kind of like the wild west. If I have a pension fund, I'm not going to want to spend it, spend people's pensions in crypto. For, the, exactly. for those very reasons. So regulation is a good thing. Yeah, regulation is obviously a good thing, but of course, it's about trying to have regulation without actually making it centralised again. Of course, is the whole uh, raison d'etre of, of blockchain is decentralised. So maybe we need to think more about how, how we can foster an environment of trust and security and respect whilst still allowing for a decentralized way of doing things, which obviously is quite difficult. Have you thought about this in terms of what we can do as, as contributors to this space about security and making sure that we are using best practices when investing and engaging with companies? You know, I don't have a solution, but I did see what happened with EOS and I thought, like, wow, is it, is it just, is this a symptom of just the masses being absolutely ravenous with greed like what is really that much money with that little accountability i think this is we can tie this back into sort of that parallel with the evolution of life and it is going to be survival of the fittest and eventually like those projects won't be able to raise that unless they have those measures in place yeah 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 and, and just a question for you as well what would you say to a person that's in the early stages of investment in this space or looking to invest in this space, what kind of guidelines or tips or tricks or insight would you give to a person who's just about to invest their first 10K into investing in cryptocurrencies? What kind of things would you offer to them? 
um, it's very easy to get excited and try to do day trade or, or even use leverage, especially if the market is, is in an upward trajectory. I think you need to, to do dollar cost averaging, buying over a period of time. And I need, you need to think like long term, 2020. This is still so early in the, in the space. And as long as we have a good spread of really solid infrastructure projects and some Bitcoin, I think you'll be doing okay in 2020. What, yeah. what would you say? So yeah. I, would, I would say it's important to do due deal. You know, I really, course, yes, really yeah. make sure that you've scoped out the team, looked at their experience, read the white paper, and also as well, just going to focus groups and meeting people in the cities, or like for example, London or New York or, or, or Sydney, uh, going out to meetup groups and talking to people in the space, you know, joining di- Discord groups and joining WhatsApp groups and talking about projects and actually meeting founders and discussing, okay, you know, what projects are you investing in? Why are you investing in them? So, because I think it's quite easy to to get behind, you know, two screens at home and think that you're all of a sudden Wolf of Wall Street and start investing in all these projects and then actually lose loads of money, but you haven't done the due deal or met the founders or met people who are investing in the companies or joined Telegram groups. So I think, you know, you can buffer yourself from uncertainty. You know, I say buffer with a pinch of salt, but you can do that by really engaging with the project and the community and also learning more about the vision of the project as well, uh, which is really, really helpful, I found. Oh, yes, absolutely. I think that's good advice. And you'll find that if you do go to those meetup groups, that people in this, it, there's sort of a community. Uh, there's a very brotherly and sisterly vibe, and people want to help each other, and they want to recommend things and, and give you information to, to research. And uh, it, It's a very warm and friendly environment. And there's sort of a, yeah, a, a camaraderie, I would say, like a revolutionary camaraderie to it. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely true. So a question about the future of the space. I mean, I'm, I'm sure as a person who's been studying Ayurveda and the tree of life and evolution and growth on earth, I'm sure you must have spent some time visualizing, thinking about the future of, of this space and about the future of the internet. Uh, what kind of ideas or visions do you picture in your head when thinking about the future for technology for internet, for blockchain, for society. Please share with us. It could go one of two. Um, either we can towards greater centralization and more disempowerment of the individual. And that leads us to a very dystopian future. Like, I think we're already like accelerating in that direction right now. Like, Look at what China's doing with the good citizen policy. That, that stuff is scary. Mm. Um, um, for those of you who don't know, it's sort of like a, a system for rewarding you for, for a very complex system of hurting you with incentives and, and punishments in the direction that the centralized authority wants to hurt the population, um, like a mass of, of herded and exploited farm animals, like, like a herd of sheep. It's, it's very scary, that direction. And, of course, that ties in with how distracted I'm our general population is like, I don't think we've ever been more distracted than we are today. There's so much entertainment. It's a, it's a huge industry that ties mm-hmm. in with disempowering you because you get empowered through your research and through your knowledge and through your understanding of how things work and your understanding of how actions affect the system as a whole. You know, 
much separate from the system. It sort of fosters like systems thinking. And that's empowerment of the individual, whereas entertainment is distraction. And that's disempowerment of the individual. And if we go down that direction towards disempowerment and centralized authority, the future looks, in my opinion, looks bleak. But if this new renaissance leads to a new age that leads to a sort of like a peaceful American revolution and the French Revolution, these things didn't begin violently. They began with good ideals for empowerment of the individual, for greater liberty and greater self-expression. Mm. And, and I like to, to think that Bitcoin, cryptocurrency in general, is a huge step towards that, that, that future, to manifesting that future as a symptom of the empowering us with information. You can learn so much on YouTube today, whereas 50 years ago, you couldn't get that information. If you went to get an education, you got an education that trained you how to be a skilled worker as a human resource to be exploited. And you got propagandized left, right, and center. Like anytime you, you think propaganda makes people think they know stuff and have opinions about stuff they don't know anything about. Like it's always a good idea to question who's behind this and what are, what are, why are they doing it? Mm, that's really good. Yeah that's, yeah. that's really interesting. I really have enjoyed, um, you know, talking to you because it's been quite interesting to talk about, the philosophy, the the kind of the, the deeper meaning of decentralization yeah. and, and the internet. The current system is based on the control, and cryptocurrency is a revolution. It strikes at the heart of that system, mm, and exactly. disempowering that system. I don't know if you've heard some of Andreas Antonopoulos' talks, where he talks about becoming your own bag. And we're going to see, because if this blockchain revolution continues, we're going to see incredible changes. Like accounting is going to become obsolete. KPMG, House, Coopers, these things are going to go like the way of Kodak. Like all that's going to be done through smart contracts. So much more efficiently, so much faster. Banks will have to be changed completely because you can, governments can't just print money and enslave people with more debt so that more of their tax money has to go to pay down interest instead of actually paying for schools and healthcare and infrastructure and a better life. Mm, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To be fair, I wasn't actually you know, expecting having a, a quite thorough discussion about the philosophy of, of, of you know, life and internet, etc. But this actually has been very, very interesting. I actually kind of enjoyed as well. We didn't spend too much time talking about how to trade, um, because obviously, you know, we're not necessarily uh, traders, podcast or anything. Um, uh, I can touch on, on trading. Yeah, if you can. Yeah, the perspective. Ayurveda has some words. It's great to describe things that we don't have words for in English. There's a word, rajas. Rajas in nature is its desire, its, its energy being put into a system. And then there's tamas, which is the vibration of decay, where energy is leaving the system. And the more quickly energy gets put into the system, generally, the faster it leaves the system. Like the trees that grow the fastest, the weeds, they end up dying the fastest. Whereas the trees that grow slow and steady end up living for a really long time. And that perfect harmony between growth and decay is called sattva. Sattva, sattvic, yeah, sattva. 
Okay. This applies to everything. This applies to our health. This applies to our quality of mind. This applies to economics, even. Like um, Austrian economics would be a very sattvic way of, of doing people farming, so to speak. Whereas you just let nature take free market will decide. Whereas Keynesian economics is a very rajasic way. It's like a lot of ego involved. Like you think that you can take into account all of it to decide from your ego, from the single best course of action to take. That would be like taking a tree outside and saying, I'm going to factor in where all the bees come from, where all the wind comes from, where all the raindrops come from, where the light comes from. And I'm going to trim the tree in the way that's in the tree's best interest. Whereas Austrian economics would say, like, I'm going to allow the tree to grow and it's going to naturally grow in the way that's in its best interest. Mm. Yeah. So I lost my train of thought there. I was looking, oh, yeah, sattva and these energies. So when we look at a chart, as a chart starts to grow, the faster it grows, it tends to accelerate up. And that's rajas. And rajas is design. When you start to see in the newspaper, on social media, on your Twitter, when you start to have all your friends on Facebook talking about, oh my gosh, this this stock, this this project, that's the one, that's the one. That's when you have to say, all right, this rajas has gone too far and it's about to turn into like the fear of missing out is going to turn into the fear of losing. And you can anticipate the change before it comes. Wow. And recognizing how nature works. And when it's gone to the extreme, when there's absolute pessimism in the space, that's when you can say, oh, the trend is changing because it's like a pendulum that has to swing from one extreme to the other. And it oscillates, it oscillates. And that's what's happening in the space. It's not just that's not what the value of the value of the cryptocurrency is, what we think it's worth. So it's what our collective psychology is doing as a, an expression of nature. So I like to do trading. I, I think uh, I'm more like a, a swing trader. I try to make those bigger moves. I like Elliott waves. I use Elliott waves a lot. And, um, so what's the Elliott uh, wave? Elliott wave. It's an interesting phenomenon that describes markets as a phenomenon of nature. Elliott and waves. Have, yeah. Have you been to the beach? Have you ever been at the beach and you've seen sort of like the tide coming up? So a yep. rising tide would be like a bull market. Yep. And the waves come up on the beach, and they leave a mark, and they recede. Then a wave comes up, and then it goes back lower. And then the wave comes high, and then before the big wave, the sea kind of gets pulled like down the beach quite far out. Like The sea recedes a lot, and then the big wave comes. And um, human psycho collective psychology does work like waves coming up or receding in, in a tide, and they're called Elliott waves. So it goes sort of like one up, two down, three up higher, four down, and then five up. So in the stock market, three tends to be a really big run. And in commodities trading, five, the fifth wave is the biggest one. And in cryptocurrency, what we saw last time, that big run up to 19,000, that was the fifth wave. And then it ushers in a corrective period, which is a downtrend, A, B, C, down lower. Or if it's a bear market, it reverse one down, two up, three deeper down, four a little bit up, five even deeper down. Wow, and, that's um, yeah. It's and it it's just like what you see in the market. You would observe if you the waves on the beach and just look at where they leave that foam in the sand. 
It's <laughs> real, it's really fascinating. What you're seeing is Rajas, Tamas, Rajas, Tamas, the pendulum mm, swinging, and it's always balanced and it overreacts or overreacts up, and then it has overreaction down. It has another overreaction up, and it's it's, it's very interesting to observe. And you can even observe it in yourself. Like you'll start to feel this sort of like euphoria, like yeah, I'm going to the moon. And you have to be very conscious of yourself and say, wait a minute, is that my Homo sapien animal instinct just getting excited? And you have to be really aware of yourself and be very, very conscious of your emotions. And trading is about controlling yourself, not letting your emotion carry you. So when everybody you're feeling like, oh, yes, we're going to the moon. That's when you have to start to say, all right, let me start to take out some of the positions. Now. And wow. I'm, I'm not a really like expert trader. I want to lose money. Um, I'm more conservative than I am aggressive. I like to keep um, 20% in cash. I call it my BTFD money. BTFD? BTFD. You know, that's, it's, it's to buy the dip. To buy the dip. Oh. I'll, I'll ride a dip down by it and I'll scale out as we get. And huh. um, yeah, right now though, I'm just a holder. I'm a holder. I mean, I filled my bags. Up. I, I've got what I can afford and I'm just looking towards 20. And as we get up into another market, I start to take advantage of those waves. One, two, three, four, five, as much as I can. Wow, that's really interesting. So I find it very fascinating how you really have, you've infused your cryptocurrency trading with the understanding of life and understanding just, of yeah, philosophy understand nature so it's kind of like that never want to force don't want to force nature yeah then you have to learn the lesson trading will teach you that lesson hard it's all about checking your ego checking your ego that's very yeah yeah because it's, it's the theory. ego that thinks oh yeah i'll figure it out oh yeah, yeah, yeah when you start start to feel like that you know you're in trouble every myth every culture i'm a big fan of joseph campbell's work the hero with a thousand faces. Is, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm fully aware one of that. Of the, one of the themes of all of every culture is that pride always comes before the fall. And it's the same thing with trading. You can never think you got it figured out. You always have to keep questioning your assumptions. Always, and the ego is always to get that pride. It's a game it plays with itself. Like you can even have pride about being humble. It's, all, it's always there. So trading is... It's about as much understanding nature as understanding your own psyche. Mm, very interesting, actually, because, yeah, because, you know, we always hear about, yeah, for example, the Wolf of Wall Street is a good example of this, where trading, selling, buying, making loads of money, and then ego inflates and inflates and inflates and inflates, and more rewards, more power, etc. And it's quite easy, I think, to get into a mindset where you think that trading is this continual upward curve of success and more money and more power, et cetera. But actually, I really enjoyed how you've actually grounded the persona of a trader to being ultra self-aware, you know, always self-checking, being able to, to understand and perceive the ego and then act decisively to not get ahead of oneself, which is very, very interesting, actually. And this is, uh, you know, we talked about Rajas and Tamas. So like um, at Safra, so when this, this energies of growth, maintenance and decay are expressed in, uh, in psychology, like a Tamasic person is a really reactive person. They're just running on their primal drives, just um, survival, reproduction, 
and they're very easily like, manipulated and exploited. And then a rajasic person, a lot of ego in there. They want the uh, power a lot. They want everybody to know how great they are. And then a sattva person is a person who's got enough understanding that allows to be compassionate. And a good, good trader be more sattva. So you're saying, a, you're saying a good trader with a person that has, has enough sattva to be able to uh, be gracious and be aware and, and be considerate of... of and not uh, have that ego to like think it's got it all figured out all the time. You don't have to figure it out. It's very hard to beat the market. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. And that, that same part of you is going to be everybody's feeling that I'm going to get rich now. This is it. That part is going to be screaming, put more in, put more in. And you have to be very aware to be like, no, I'm going to start to scale out now. You have to also think about the the actual value of being rich and how you set targets and how you benchmark quote unquote being rich in the first place. Because as soon as you made made some money, you always require acquire more. You know, and you yeah, know, I think, yeah. I think it's King Solomon who said that in, actually in the Bible, you know, a very long time ago. The more you have, the more you spend. And um, I think particularly when with something, particularly with the way money is now. And that you know, money is virtually infinite, and there's always something else that, that you can't afford. Um, you have to be very, very self-aware as to what what being rich means for you, and what kind of boundaries you set, and what kind of benchmarks and targets you set in terms of in terms of your financial evolution. I mean, do you? you see, yeah, if you're not rich inside, you're gonna be in the world. Won't, won't feel rich. You won't be satisfied. It's about contentment, really. How much do you really need? And I think that uh, we we tend to overestimate how much we really need. Mm, exactly. <laughs> That's quite interesting. So actually, it's been a really interesting conversation. Uh, let's wrap things up for the time being. Do you do you have followers or do you have some kind of media um, channels that people can follow you on or, or are you not really into that? Um, you know, I, I was when I was an athlete. And there was a time where one of my sponsors was giving himself an award for being sustainable. And I had to get up and give a speech about how they were sustainable, but they weren't. And I realized I was prostituting my image. And I kind of have been shunning fame. I don't really want followers. I have a Twitter from back when I was an athlete, but um, I'm more just a spectator. And every now and then I produce a bit of content and I share it, but I just am on there to see what the how everybody in crypto Twitter feels, what's the general sentiment of the space. And then I also follow some journalists who are like embedded with, with, um, in, in the front lines, various to get news directly from the source. But um, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not an influential person in space. Um, I'm just a guy who, who, who's curious and analyzes and thinks a lot. But if you want to follow me, it's just, um, find me on Twitter, George Bulbell. Okay, great. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I mean, not everybody has to be a influencer, poster, etc. Um, you know, there definitely is is value in, in in making the occasional post. And I think this actually has been a really good chance for you and, and for me as well to talk to you and, and to share your message and your voice, you know, to our followers. That's great. Have some fun using analogy of Bitcoin as a single cell order and the novelty that exploded in the early emissions and compare that to to what's happening now and try and choose the branch of the tree of what you like best that you think is going to have the most cool, successful organisms evolve out of. Amazing. Well, George, thank you for your time. It's been awesome chatting to you. Thank you, Hassan. Um, have a good night. Bye-bye.